What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing C.J. Sims' rouge gap at the end of last week's game between Edmonton and Saskatchewan. The Hamilton Tiger Cats getting their first win of the 2023 season. Bergen Adams Jr. bouncing back from his six-interception performance. The Montreal Alouettes' continued failure to protect quarterback Cody Fajardo. And a CFL superfan setting a Guinness World Record. But first... Jeremiah Masoli suffered a season-ending non-contact Achilles tear during the second quarter of his return to the field for Ottawa, 365 days to the exact day that he took that cheap shot from Garrett Marino. The Red Blacks have signed Jake Dunaway and Tyrell Pigrome to help at quarterback, while Dustin Crum has been named the Week 6 starter versus Winnipeg. Does this injury, what does this injury mean for Ottawa and Masoli? Well, well, let's start off with Masoli. Um, this is a potentially career-ending injury, and I don't want to discount what Jeremiah Masoli has been able to accomplish in his career when it comes to battling back from from rehab and and doing an amazing job of that. He came back from a torn ACL. He suffered in 2019. Came back from the horrific leg injury he had last season. He's a warrior. And so I don't want to discount his ability to come back. He could very well be back. But this Achilles tear, I mean, this is a guy who's turning 35 next month. That's that's a year-long recovery, at least. Like, already, I don't think you can expect reasonably Jeremiah Masoli to be ready for week one next year. Certainly not for the beginning of training camp. And if you're the Ottawa Red Blacks, you, you've gotten five games, or really four games, essentially, from this guy over the last two years. I don't know how you necessarily bring him back as the undisputed franchise guy. He is under contract for 2024, but that's a lot of eggs you've put in this basket that for no fault of his own, it's just not worked. And, you know, so, so that, that I think is, is the reality for Masoli for, for Ottawa. And honestly, the rest of the CFL, this is just bad. Like this is really an awful development 
this is obviously bad for the Red Blacks for obvious reasons and Masoli as a person, but for anybody who cares about the CFL, watches the CFL, the level of quarterbacking has not been consistently high enough this season. And Jeremiah Masoli, when he's on his game, is a top five quarterback in this league for sure, arguably a top three quarterback. So, you know, for, for Ottawa, I, I like Tyrell Pegram a lot. I got a front row seat in Winnipeg watching him in the preseason. I was shocked the Bombers cut him loose. Um, and we'll see what Dustin Crum is able to do. It's clear to me from from the fact that Dustin Crum got into last week's game that this team has no confidence whatsoever in Nick Arbuckle. The veteran who started the first two games of the year looked awful. Uh, this appears to be Dustin Crum's team. And who knows? Maybe Dustin Crum will have a, a Nick Arbuckle, or pardon me, a, a Cody Fajardo-like burst onto the scene this year. We've seen rookie quarterbacks do that before. Guys like Ricky Ray, guys like Casey Printers, even Chris Streveler. In 2018, raw rookies out of college have some success right away. But shy of that, boys, I hate to say this in week six, going into week six, but Ottawa's season is very much in doubt this early on. And that's that's heartbreaking. It's an absolute tragedy. And it's, you know, I love this game and I, I love this sport. And it's so much fun to engage with and, and watch as a fan. But there are moments like this when you see Mazzoli go down and, and you see him carried off the field by his teammates, like it just makes you sick to your stomach, right? It, it's a hard thing to watch because you know how much work has gone into him taking that long road back, and it's not fair, right? This is a game that can be taken away from anyone who plays it at any moment, and, and we need to recognize that when we're watching it. I've seen some discussion this week, some people uh, you know, talking about the Marino hit, other people saying, well, it's it's not the same leg, it's not the knee, and that's absolute garbage. I think if we really look at this objectively, when you blow out your right knee that badly and then you spent, spend a year compensating on your other leg, the wear and tear of, of that process makes it far more likely to injure once you return to the field, and that's exactly what we saw happen. Right, that leg, that left leg and, and left Achilles for Mazzoli has been carrying the burden of that other injury for a full calendar year. And once it had the added strain of playing professional football, it gave out. And it's it's truly, truly tragic for Mazzoli first and foremost. For the Ottawa Red Blacks, this is this could be their season, and I don't want to write off Dustin Crum because I like a lot of things about his game. Obviously, he's a former uh, MAC Player of the Year, a player of, of high acclaim, had some NFL interest. He moves incredibly well. I love the way he he runs the football and his physicality in that aspect of the game. But this is a raw rookie who's completely unproven, and that's not a situation you want to be in if you're the Ottawa Red Blacks. And certainly, you know, Anybody can eventually become a star in this league, but the additions of Jake Dunaway and, and Tyrell Pigram don't do anything to boost my confidence in this team. They need a legitimate, experienced quarterback if they're going to make a run at the playoffs in the East Division. And, and right now there are limited options out there because I don't think teams with experienced backups for the exact reason – uh, of this Mazzoli injury are going to be parting with their backups because we all know how important it is to have two quarterbacks in this league. And so now you're sitting back and hoping for something to kick loose. And perhaps that could be McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who was released from the USFL uh, yesterday. He's still exploring NFL options. He's not committed 
to coming back to Canada yet, but certainly you have to think the Ottawa Red Blacks and a couple other teams for that matter are blowing up his phone right now trying to lure him back to Canada. Let's go over all of the stuff that's been talked about online. And first and foremost, McLeod Bethel-Thompson. He is not walking through that CFL door anytime soon, regardless of what people think about his chances of signing an NFL contract. He's dedicated to that. And at the earliest, I can't see McLeod Bethel-Thompson back in the CFL until September or even October after he tries to get into a training camp and then perhaps waits for an emergency quarterback situation and some injuries down there. And some people can continue to laugh at him, but that's where his head is at right now. So it's not realistic to think that he's going to come back and save the Red Black season because by that time in September or October, Ottawa's season could already be decided based on potentially what Dustin Crum does. So the Red Blacks have reached out to McLeod Bethel-Thompson, have had contact with him, but he ain't coming north of the border anytime soon. So as you somewhat alluded to there, JC, Fans online are talking about, well, why don't the Red Blacks just go out and trade for Drew Brown or Trey Ford or Dane Evans? Well, first of all, Dane Evans cannot be traded back to the East Division. That was one of the stipulations that the Tiger Cats had with him when he went out West. And you look at the other potential options around the league. There's not much in terms of free agents that are out there readily available. And You look at the one I think that I would like to see, obviously, and a lot of people, other people would, and Trey Ford, the Canadian quarterback in Edmonton, who hasn't got any burn yet, hasn't started a game for them, hasn't even seen the field. But the Red Blacks believe that Dustin Crum is a better player than Ford. So they're not going to go up and give an asset, potentially in a trade for Ford, if they really believe in Dustin Crum. And they think that Tyrell Pigrome and even Dunaway, who was there in training camp, have some intriguing traits. So the Red Blacks are really high on Dustin Crum. Is it an ideal situation? No, but it's hard to predict or foresee Jeremiah Masoli going down with another season-ending injury and losing confidence in Nick Arbuckle. But as much as a lot of people are down on him, it might come to that point if Dustin Crum struggles that they have to go to Arbuckle. I think if Pigrom and Dunaway can get up to speed quickly, that they would probably go to those two. But Arbuckle is going to be in Ottawa for the rest of the season just based on his contract. So the Dustin Crum era will start. And I'll remind you guys, I'm not saying he's going to be this player. And some people might say he's not that good as it is. But the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had a similar situation in 2019. Zach Claris went down in the first game on that hit from Simone Lawrence. And everybody thought the Riders season was over. And along came Cody Fajardo, who led that team to first place in the West Division and almost took him to the Grey Cup. I'm not saying Crum's going to do that but it at least presents an opportunity for a young, intriguing prospect. I think one key distinction, and I, I granted I made a similar projection, not well, not projection, just provided Fajardo as an example of somebody who stepped in and did something like Ottawa's asking Dustin Crum here to do under not unprecedented, but certainly dire circumstances in the nation's capital. It's important to remember Fajardo sat on the bench in Toronto and BC for a number of years before Going to Ryderville, uh, Dustin Crum has not had that opportunity. He turned pro last season, was in a camp with the Kansas City Chiefs. Other than that, is basically as green as they come, uh, which is why, again, I, I think this, this, this situation is really dire. And something that we haven't talked about yet, boys, we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Tyree Adams is out for the year with an ACL. 
Like this isn't even like the, the, the Red Blacks lost their starter and now they're going to the young guy they like. The young guy they like is already out. <laughs> now the starter's hurt and they're they're going to another guy they like, and Dustin Crum, which is great. We've talked at length on this podcast about how more young quarterbacks need opportunities in this league rather than retreads. But um yeah, there's there's a lot riding on this. And oh, by the way, Dustin Crum, your first career start against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah. Great matchup to draw. Good luck with that. That's not going to be, it's not the team I would want to make my pro debut against, but uh, who knows? Maybe in a way it's a good thing. Throw him right into the fire against Willie Jefferson in that front seven and, uh, and see what he can do. But uh, best of luck to him because right now he, in my view, is their last shot at saving their season, Um, which is brutal considering that this organization has really struggled on the field since 2019. Uh, you know, the, I think a lot of people were hoping to see Ottawa turn it around, um, not just their fans locally, but, you know, pundits around the league like that. That franchise has been through a lot. A lot of it is their fault, but a lot of it is not their fault. And this is an example of something that is obviously not their fault. Beyond the quarterbacks, I think the person who has to shoulder the biggest part of this burden right now is offensive coordinator Kari Jones, because he now has to design or or fit his offense to this rookie quarterback and with the addition of Tyrell Pigram and we all know how good Dustin Crum can run the ball and we saw that in his first appearance I wonder how he's going to shift his game plan and, and potentially use more QB runs and QB sweeps and and that type of thing take advantage of those young players athleticism if he can do that I think that gives Ottawa perhaps a fighting chance because we've seen quarterbacks, first time starters come into this league. And you mentioned Fajardo. I think Chris Strevler is another example who came in and had to start games as a true rookie that can do it mainly because defenses are still trying to figure out how to handle their legs. And if Kahari can design his offense with the athleticism of those players in mind, then potentially they can steal a few wins. But that's a big if going forward. I think all that Crum has to do here is protect the football. That's been an issue for whoever's been playing quarterback. Aside from Tyree Adams with the Red Blacks this season, Nick Arbuckle kept turning it over. And that defense, I think, can be really good. The special teams, I think, could sway momentum in the game. And I think Kahari Jones already did as much as he could in game. Taylor, the offensive play calling to Crum last week, we saw him with 90-plus rushing yards in that ability to get north-south real quick. So if Crum protects the football, uses that athleticism to his benefit while also learning to win from the pocket, then he could get some wins with Ottawa. It's a lot to ask of a rookie. We've seen it done before, but we've also seen the flip side. I think it's worth mentioning. Rough Riders fans will talk about you know the years when Darian Durant had injuries and they had to go through Tino Sanseri and Brett Smith and the list of quarterbacks there. So I'm not Best saying Aggie. he's going to be the next Cody Fajardo, and he was a guy that was in the league for a while, but it could go either way. I'm saying is is if I'm Richie Hall, defensive coordinator of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this week, I'm going, okay, we're going to fill the box, take away the run, and we're going to spy Dustin Crum all game, keep him in the pocket, and just make him beat us with his arm because I feel like we're going to get three picks and and roll to victory. But we'll talk about that game more a little bit later on. CJ Sims took a costly rouge late in Edmonton's 12-11 loss to the Saskatchewan Roughriders when he allowed a last-minute kickoff from Brett Lothar to sail over his head. 
Sims told TS10 the play was, quote, boneheaded, close quote. Though head coach and general manager Chris Jones told the media that he and his staff have to do a better job of coaching players on the nuances of the Canadian game. Dunk, do you blame Sims or do you blame Edmonton's coaching staff for the error? Both. And I'll blame the coaching staff more. But you know when they're in the dog days of training camp and players are talking about the rookies especially, learning the CFL game and getting their nose in the playbooks and really understanding everything that's going on. Well, this proves at least for CJ Sims that that was bogus, right? He should have understood this rule and the magnitude of the situation. And his coaching staff should have reiterated that to him before he went on the field. You talk to coaches around the league, especially special teams coordinators, and they'll tell you that usually, even if the situation isn't a big one like that one was at Mosaic Stadium, They'll let the returner know whether or not they feel like it's the right decision to give up a single or not. So I think there's a major error there from the coaching staff. And CJ Sims just has to know better, bro. There is no excuse. Go to Google. Go to YouTube. Go to Instagram. Go to Twitter. Anywhere. You can find out the rules of this game and the fact that you shouldn't have nonchalantly let that ball roll into the end zone. And it's worth noting that I believe it was – Jackson Ford, who was on his horse trying to get down there to recover that for a touchdown. Like it was that close to being an even worse error in one of the misplays, not only of the month, but of the year. Yeah, this is a situation. And look, the ignorance is real, right? When it comes to the Canadian game, if you're not born or raised in this in this country, you probably don't know the game. For instance, I'll give another example. A source this past week led me to believe one of the reasons the CFL doesn't have a functioning stats page at the moment is that Genius Sports vastly underestimated how different the American game is from the Canadian game. And their SAT yes, system sir. is obviously very much tailored to four down American football. And guess what? Um, we're not America and uh, we never have been. And hopefully we never will be. I said that with respect to the American audience and the American family members that I have. But I think it's great that we're our own country doing our own thing. And in my opinion, we have the better version of of the game of football. We really do. And uh, granted, I'm biased. But but to me, the more action packed, exciting, wide open game is is certainly ours. So you have to blame Sims to at least some extent. However, at the end of the day, this is a coaching mistake, and they put this player in a terrible position. And I will give Chris Jones credit for copping to that after the game. It would have been easy for him to say, oh, you know, yeah, that's a it's a terrible play. You know, he cost us this. He cost us that. Uh, So as much as it was a it was a pathetic display of coaching, I will give Chris Jones credit for at least acknowledging that after the game and defending Sims, because that is what a good coach does in that situation is not hang it on the player. Cause it's clear Edmonton's coaching staff completely failed this poor young man who I wouldn't say cost them the game because there was a minute left. Edmonton could have driven the field, but that game overall was a terribly played game. The last 90 seconds was highly entertaining. The first 58 and a half. I want my, I want my three hours back. That was atrocious. Um, but uh, anyways, it, it, it was, Obviously an unfortunate error, but to me, the, the, the lion's share of the blame has to go to Edmonton's coaching staff. We'll say this, and you say, yeah, C.J. Sims didn't necessarily cost them the game because there was a full minute yet left. And yes, that's true, but we should also note the added element to this, which I don't think 
enough people are talking about. And that's the fact that after conceding that single point, he then took an unnecessary roughness penalty or a, a misconduct penalty immediately afterwards because Jackson Ford, who was on his horse to go recover that that football was there in his face taunting him about the single point and he gave him a shove drew the 15 yards the rouge in that situation yeah it's not what you want to do you don't want to concede that point and give away the lead but from a field position standpoint it moves you up perhaps you're closer to that game-winning field goal by taking that penalty in that moment which is entirely on sims he negated any sort of field position advantage he might have gained through his mistake. So there's another element to this entirely that falls directly on the player. But I think the person most responsible, guys, for this error is, of course, the CFL concussion spotter because he didn't pull Chris Jones out of the game when he got smoked by the referee on the sideline. That's obviously <laughs> why he forgot to remind CJ Sims not to take a knee in the end zone. I think that's just for the players, but I like it. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe there's an argument to be made because he did take a whack in the head. And by the way, for, for the uninitiated, that was something that was made clear to all teams this past offseason is officials who spent a lot of their time in, in certain respects running along the sidelines felt that their safety was being endangered by coaches and players stepping into what is essentially their workplace, right? Running up and down the sidelines. And so teams were warned. Well, teams were warned that they're going to call that more stringently this year. And lo and behold, Chris Jones not only took the penalty, but also took a shoulder to the head, which I can't imagine was very pleasant. I mean, that that's not even calling the rule more stringently. Like calling the rule more stringently would be if Chris Jones was on the white stripe and they threw a penalty while standing ten feet away from him. He the referee ran into him. You can't do that as a coach. Like that's. It doesn't matter what level of football that you're coaching at. You cannot stand in the way of the referee. Yeah, we all violate that rule. We get too excited. We get out on the field. But that's that's your responsibility, right? Either you take it upon yourself to be responsible as a coach and control your own body and control your own space like you expect a player would, or you do what all these NFL coaches do and you get your strength and conditioning guy down there on the sideline to do a little tango dance with the hips and grind up on you and pull you back off the sidelines. Chris Jones did neither of those things and it cost his team yards in this game, valuable yards. Well, and I know that you're a well-tenured uh, high school head coach, JC. So I appreciate, I'll give you the benefit of that. What I'm saying is in years past, there have been coaches, Wally Buono was probably the most famous for it, who would watch half the game from the hash mark. So the the CFL has gotten a lot more stringent. You can't be 10 steps out of the field, much less two, much less over the white stripe. Chris Jones just stuck his head a little bit too far. But yeah, an ugly game all in all at Mosaic Stadium. Hopefully this week's matchup with the Stamps is a lot more entertaining and, frankly, better played. Vernon Adams Jr. bounced back from a six-interception performance against Toronto in Week 4 to be named Three Down Nation's Offensive Player of the Week after throwing for almost 300 yards and a touchdown in BC's win over Montreal. Did Adams impress you with how he handled adversity this past week? I had some worries about Adams going into this week. I think everyone's seen... His his post-practice press conference, he got a little bit snippy with a reporter asking about those six picks, said it was old stuff. He had flushed it. 
know, I've been on the receiving end of a, an angry VA. I know, Dunk, you have as well. It's not always the, the most fun thing. And that concerned me because in the past he's had maturity issues and I, I wondered how he would respond. Well, credit to him because this was not easy for him. That first part of the game, I thought he really struggled. And on the second play from scrimmage, he threw a pick six that was ultimately called back for illegal contact on Marc-Antoine Decois. And frankly, for a penalty, I thought was a little bit soft, right? That should have stood as a pick six in my mind. But he shook it off. And even if he was off timing, he gave himself the grace to come back. And by the second half, I mean, that touchdown throw to Javon Katoy and the Dominic Rimes uh, 35-yarder that preceded it, those are both exceptional throws. And that's what VA has shown us all season long is even if there's been some darker spots or some inconsistencies more so than I think any quarterback in the league this season, every single game, there's been at least one wow throw from him. One of those ones that you just put up on the highlight reel and said, this is incredible elite athleticism from the quarterback position. And he found that again in the second half, it wasn't his best performance, but he flushed it. Yes, it took a plunger, as I wrote in my article, but we've all been there, right? You need a little extra help. He got rid of it, and that really impressed me because in the past, after that pick six at the start that was called back, VA would have spiraled, and he did not spiral in this game. That big play VA touchdown pass rolling to his left to Javon Katoy on the run was low-key the best throw of the year that I've seen so far. That was outstanding. Full credit to Vernon Adams Jr. And I will give him credit for seemingly being more mature, but I still would like him to cut out the type of tense remarks or the snippiness, as you said, JC, with reporters. They're asking questions and the measure of any person, I won't even say a man, but of any person is how you respond to adversity. So if a reporter can get under your skin by asking a simple question and I'm an opposing player, God only knows what is said on that <laughs> field, right? Unless some of these players are mic'd up on the TSN show that they used to produce. I don't even know if they're doing it anymore. I think they are. Then that's going to get you even more riled up. So I would still like to see him have more composure. I understand that part of what makes him a good and potentially great quarterback in the CFL is his fire for the game. But that has to be directed in a mostly positive way. And I'm saying that from experience, to be quite honest. I'm not going to say the swear word that I want to say mm -hmm. on the podcast right now, but I was not necessarily the nicest or the most positive guy to be around in my mid-years at the University of Guelph as a starting quarterback. And then I went in and did some personality and mental training with our athletic director at the time and realized that not necessarily false positivity, but being uplifting and also how your words can affect people and more so even your actions. Like to me, words are hollow if actions don't follow. So I'd like to see more of that from Vernon Adams Jr. I think he has matured here. I will agree with JC, but there is still a long way for him to go in that department. But Dunk, you're saying your thoughts on Western have changed and evolved. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yes, I have a lot of respect for Greg Marshall and the program. That's true. <laughs>
the thing that I thought was was like, and I I watched that avail. It's still on the Beastie Lions website. By the way, credit for them for posting it. I've been part of contentious scrums before, where teams will edit out contentious moments between players and reporters. I like that the well, Beastie yes, Lions we had posted a it for transparency earlier this year with Orlando Steinauer that the Tiger Cats only posted thirty six seconds. That post game press why. conference was well over five minutes, fellas. So sorry, Hodge. But. Uh, the thing that I was a little bit taken aback by was he was complaining about the reporter asking about what he termed old news, which I, I thought was a little strange considering that, or I think it was old stuff was the exact words, which is like, this is day one of practice after your most recent game in which you threw six picks. Like you were obviously going to be asked about this and it's your job to answer those questions. Now, if in week 13, people are still going, Hey, VA, remember two months ago when you had a bad game? I think at that point you're well within your right to say, okay, that's old stuff. Like, can we move on? But like this is literally day one of practice since since the game happened. Like this is this is your first chance to address it with any type of hindsight. So I thought that was a little bit disappointing. But give give credit to Vernon Adams Jr. He bounced back not only from the pick in game as JC laid out, but he had a solid game overall. I will say the stat line does not pop off the page relative to a lot of our offensive players of the week. But it also was just a poor week offensively across the board in the CFL. Like only, I think two teams cracked 20 points, which is not something that I think anybody wants to see repeated in week six. Hopefully we get more action, more, more, more points, more scoring, more excitement this upcoming week. But um, yeah, I, I give VA like a, give them like a B minus. It's, it's more than just an average passing grade, but I, I'm still wanting to see an A plus. Cause as you mentioned, dunk at times he does things on the field that I'm not sure any other quarterback in the CFL can do, maybe with the exception of Zach Kolaris and Chad Kelly. Moving on to our week six picks. The Hamilton Tiger Cats visit the Edmonton Elks on Thursday in a battle of struggling teams. The Elks are still on a 19-game, yes, 19-game home losing streak and are two-and-a-half-point home underdogs to a Ticats team that will play this game on only four days of rest. Can Edmonton finally snap the streak? Possibly, and I like how you said that 19-game home losing streak loud enough so Chris Jones could hear it all the way in YEG because I know he's sick of talking about it, but the way to end all that talk is to win. And this is a prime spot for Edmonton. The Ticats on a short week, coming off a win that was kind of mad, right? Like Jeremiah Masoli gets hurt, that takes all the air out of the Red Blacks, and the Tiger Cats still, in my estimation, barely won that game with a raw rookie, and they're getting his first reps in the CFL and Dustin Crumb. So I have to take Edmonton. I do not love it, but they're a home underdog, They've been sick about hearing about this. Now the CJ Sims gaff on top of that and all this talk about coaching better. So Edmonton, please finally get a cover for me. I don't care about the home win streak. Just cover. To me, I am picking the Edmonton Elks to win and cover the spread. And I want to apologize in advance to the future version of myself who watches and listens back to the show <laughs> and hears me say that because it's a preposterous thing to say. But at the same time, I cannot abide by the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who have been at very best mediocre and at, at worst terrible this season, getting points on the road and on a short week. The Ticats have not impressed whatsoever this season. 
I would be happy to take anybody getting points right now against the the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And the Elks have to snap this streak. And by the way, something I don't think is being talked about enough. After this week, week seven, the Edmonton Elks have to go to Winnipeg. Then they host BC. Then they have a bye. And then they host Winnipeg. In other words, if the Elks don't win this game, there is a very good chance they will be 0-9 at the midway point of the season. That cannot happen. I have to take the Elks. Look, Dunk has been on me the last couple podcasts about trying to learn my lesson about letdown games. There is nothing (laughs) that is a bigger letdown when you, you think you have your best performance of the season as a team and then you lose the way the Edmonton Elks did by one point. I think they're going to come out demoralized. I think they're going to come out without enough energy. And I think they're going to lose a 20th time at home and tie the pro sports record for longest home losing streak. I don't trust the Elks. I don't like Hamilton, but I cannot in good conscience pick Edmonton at home until I see something resembling a fire from this team. The Toronto Argonauts go to Montreal on Friday night with a chance to bury an East Division opponent in the standings. The Alouettes are four and a half point home underdogs. Can they cover the spread or go a step further to even get the upset? I don't think they can. I'm taking Toronto and I'm eating all these points in this game because I've seen Montreal the last two weeks. They came out flying hot to that fantastic 2-0 start, but they didn't play anyone. The last two weeks, they faced Winnipeg. They didn't look good there. They faced BC. They didn't look competitive there. Toronto is the other contending team in this league right now, the other powerhouse. I think Toronto is going to win this handedly. I would take this line up to a touchdown with Toronto covering. That's how strongly I feel. I'm with JC on that number, plus the Argos coming off of bye week and looking just really solid all across the board. I cannot see the Alouettes getting a win in this game. Are there upsets? Yes, but they're coming back off that West Coast trip, which essentially puts you behind today. Toronto will be fresh, even though they got to make that short trip to Montreal. And guys, we haven't talked about this, but we used to talk about the Blue Bombers wrapping up the West Division really early. The East has been so bad outside of the Toronto Argonauts that they could have this thing wrapped up by like Labor Day, fellas. So I like the Argos. I think this podcast is at its most compelling when we disagree, which is why it's with apologies that I echo all of your statements. I'm rolling with the Argos on this one. (laughs) Short and sweet, baby. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers travel to the nation's capital in the first half of a Saturday night doubleheader. No Sunday game this week, folks. Dustin Crum will make his first career CFL start, and that's been reflected in the line as the Red Blacks are nine-point home underdogs. Can the home side keep things close against the Blue Bombers? The best thing for the CFL would be for the Red Blacks to win this game. Hands down. Dustin Crum comes out and throws for four picks or four touchdowns. That was a Freudian slip. And, you know, the the Red Blacks, you know, they upset the three-time defending Grey Cup appearance, Blue Bombers, and, you know, recent two-time champions. Uh, Sadly, this game is not being written by the good folks at Disney. Those writers are on strike. And so I am taking the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think Dustin Crum is going to have a few costly turnovers in this one. My guess is a lost fumble and two picks. Uh, Richie Hall has been around the CFL 
for considerably longer than Dustin Crum has been alive. And therefore, I think that making his first career start under these circumstances, especially with the Bombers potentially getting a couple of defenders back from injury this week, is going to be too tall of a task. So again, the best thing for this league would be for the Red Blacks to not only cover but win, but I'm taking the Bombers and I'm eating all nine points. Talked about how much I like Crumb's athleticism. Well, if there's one player in the league on a defensive line that can completely negate any athletic advantage that he might possess, it is Willie Jefferson, who has been a monster so far this season, lost in all the hype around Matthew Betts. He's right up there in the sack race as well right now, and I think he is going to exploit this young quarterback alongside his running mate, Jackson Jeffcoat. I'm with you, Hodge. I don't care how high this line gets. I'm taking Winnipeg, and I'm taking the points all the way. If, and it's a massive if, Dustin Crum can protect the football, I think the Red Blacks can make it close, but I think he's going to go through a fast learning experience here going against the Blue Bombers, so I'll eat all those points with you guys. The Calgary Stampeders beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for the second half of a Saturday night doubleheader where the Riders are short one and a half point home favorites. These two teams met at McMahon Stadium in Calgary in week three and the Riders came away with a 29-26 victory in double overtime. Can the green and white repeat that type of performance this week? Don't think they can. They were the better team in that first game and they let it slip at the at the end and allowed Calgary to come back and force overtime right now. They don't have the horses, right? This Saskatchewan team is just absolutely riddled with injuries to important players like Jake Winnicky and Anthony Lanier and Roland Milligan and Peter Godbert. The list goes on. And guess what? The guy who won them the game last week with a big kickoff. Oh, he didn't practice Tuesday either. Brett Lawther is on the injury report as well. So you can't even potentially rely on points from your kicker. I think this is going to be a slip-up performance for Saskatchewan. Calgary, while I don't like them, are not anywhere near as bad as Edmonton. Saskatchewan comes out flat, and I think the Stampeders pull the upset. Uh, Everything says to take the Stampeders based on a lot of what JC said and the spot and the way that they did dominate the Blue Bombers early on in that game. They were up, what, 11-0 to start, Hodge? Uh, 11-1, yeah. 11-1. So that's a pretty good start. Dedrick Mills was running very physical, but Trevor Harris is by far the better quarterback in this game. So for that reason and that one alone, I'll put my money and faith in Harris that he can lead the Riders to a win who have shown they can scrap it out and get wins even when they're playing their C or D brand of football. I'm going to break the tie here and side with JC. I'm going to take the Calgary Stampeders plus one and a half on the road. Jake Mayer was miserable last week against Winnipeg. I do not see him having two games that bad in a row. He's got a lot to prove. Dave Dickinson and that organization knows they cannot go to one and four, especially that game would cost them the season series against Saskatchewan. That put them six points back in the standings. The Calgary Stampeders, if there was ever a must-win game in July, this is that must-win game. And also the Riders have, at least in the last couple of years, not played well at all at Mosaic. So I don't see that as a huge advantage. I'm going to roll with the Stampeders as short road dogs. Now time 
for Hodges Heritage Moment. We're a day early on this one, folks, but this one is too good not to share. On this day in 2013, 10 years ago, Cavis Reed spoke emotionally to the media following a 17 to 3 loss to the BC Lions. Quote, there has to be consequences now, close quote. Reed said, frustrated by his team's lack of discipline. Quote, enough talking about it. There has to be consequences. It's just not acceptable. We're not good enough to be as undisciplined as we are at home. Close quote. His comments as then the head coach of the Edmonton football team have since become something of a meme on social media, often accompanied by the hashtag consequences. We'll start with Justin. Where were you when you first heard the Cavus Reed consequences rant? Oh my gosh. 2013, bro. That's so long ago. I can't even remember, but I just will never forget consequences. And what still goes on in my head when I think about it is what consequences is he talking about? (laughs) We still don't know. We still don't know. It's true. JC, how about you? Oh, I was I was still in high school when that happened and a devoted fan of the Edmonton football team. So I can remember this happening. You know, I thought I thought at that time, Cavis Reed was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, underrated as a coach. I don't feel the same way now because I've <laughs> grown and matured. What I really hope, gentlemen, is that all those memes that are shared, Cavis is getting royalties for for them. Uh, hopefully an unmarked envelope full of cash. Ooh! By the way, for the historical context on this, after Cavis Reed's consequences rant, his team went on to lose seven straight games. So whatever consequences he was talking about, dark days, they, uh, they did not help. And uh, unfortunately, the Edmonton football team is back in the same spot. But maybe they're working their way out of this hole. We'll see. If the Elks tie the pro sports record of a 20 game home losing streak. Will Chris Jones go on a consequences rant? <laughs> it can't I, hurt. I, can it? I, I've been shocked at how little he said, how much, how little fire there's been from him in the media. This is a guy who we know can talk and have some quotable moments. He's been oddly subdued as his team continues to lose. And Vernon Adams Jr. should take notes. Let's go to the three-minute drill. <laughs> Jason Moss stated the Montreal Alouettes will, quote, look at everything, close quote. Uh, so cliche. To improve their pass protection after allowing 22, count them, sacks through their first four games. That ain't good. Do you believe there will actually be tangible improvement, Mr. Hodge? Well, PFF has said that the Alouettes aren't actually allowing more pressures than other teams. It's just that when they allow pressure, it ends in sacks. And to answer the question, Dunk, my answer is no. If Jason Moss could figure out how to keep Cody Fajardo off the turf, he would have done it at some point over the last three years. Failure, failure, failure. Not happening. The CFL fined Jake Ceresna the maximum amount for his low hit of Red Blacks QB Tyree Adams that caused him to suffer a torn ACL. Was that deserved? Absolutely deserved. And I, I don't think Jake Ceresna was doing this intentionally. He was engaged with alignment and shot low, but it was certainly a late hit and a low hit, the type that has to be punished by the league. And it's also a bit of a pattern for Ceresna at this point this season. He's taken some roughing the passer penalties in every game. He also rolled into a referee. So he's, you know, hitting guys late 
irregardless of what jersey they're wearing, even if it has to be stripes. So I think hopefully this fine will get him to be a little bit more cautious with his actions on the football field. The Toronto Argonauts have signed head coach Ryan Dinwiddie to a multi-year contract extension. Is he the best head coach in the CFL right now? He's in the top two, and I actually think he's two because it's still Mike O'Shea until proven. Otherwise, yes, I know Dinwiddie's team beat the Blue Bombers in the most recent Grey Cup, but O'Shea's got a bit of a dynasty going on here, I think. So if Dinwiddie can show that he can have sustained success, then he could be number one, but he's right there. Ottawa Red Blacks Wall of Honor inductee Gene Gaines passed away at the age of 85 this past week. How will you remember Gaines? And I don't remember Gaines playing, obviously, but what I will remember is that very recently he was inducted into that Wall of Honor, like literally, I believe it was Ottawa's home opener this year. And I just want to take that as a word of caution to teams around the league. There are so many guys who retired 30, 40, 50 years ago who are sitting at home waiting to be inducted into these types of things. And thank goodness Gene Gaines lived long enough to attend it in person because it's heartbreaking when guys go in posthumously when the team could have just done the right thing and inducted a player while they were still with us. So good for the Ottawa football team, I'll call them, since Gene Gaines played for the Rough Riders, of course, for doing the right thing. And congratulations to Gaines on getting into the Wall of Honor, even if it took so long. Rest in peace. All best to his family and friends. CFL superfan Bobby DeBoe set a new Guinness world record by attending a game in all nine CFL stadiums over a span of 15 days. JC, you spoke to Bobby directly. What are your takeaways from his travels? First of all, he's living my dream, so I'm extremely jealous of him. But this trip is even more impressive because he went to 10 games over 17 uh, days. He went to the, the BC visit to Winnipeg first, and they added a second trip to Winnipeg along the way just to tighten up his Guinness World Record. So there is more more games on the road than I think anyone else in the CFL has had in a single season ever. Truly impressive. I did ask him, what's the best stadium experience in the CFL? He said Saskatchewan slightly over Winnipeg. The worst it's not McMahon Stadium, gentlemen. He said, without a doubt, it's Percival Molson in Montreal. Calgary the- fans be like, we're number what? eight. We're <laughs> number eight. We're number eight. Oh, my goodness. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have placed Canadian defensive back Tunde Adelike on the six-game injured list with a hamstring injury. Is that a big loss? It's a major loss, man. He's one of the key veteran pieces on defense, and especially in that secondary, a guy that can play multiple positions and line up really anywhere in the defensive backfield. Yes, most of the time he's at safety, but they're going to hope that he gets healed up real quick. The Toronto Argonauts traded Canadian defensive tackle Sam Achapong to the Elks. Is that a smart addition for Edmonton? I think it is. They've really committed to playing a Canadian nose tackle with Jamin Pelly. They didn't really have that guy under him. And I like that Pong coming out of Wilfred Laurier. So I think this is a good move for them. They didn't have to give up a lot to get him. The Lions lost Taquan Mazel to injury this past week, though Sean Shivers looked excellent in his as his replacement. Which young running back is better in your opinion? Oh, man, don't make me pick here. I was super impressed with both of these players. Taquan Mazel, Smoke, as we call him, out in BC, has looked great through the first few games. But Shivers was 
absolutely explosive. And I think he's got a second and even third gear that no other back in the league does right now. He just has to hold on to the football at the goal line. He said, I'm going to get a call from my mom talking about that play after the game. It's just bad ball. Hold on to the football, Shivers, and you're going to have a long career in the CFL. The CFL's TV ratings improved again in week five with the four games averaging an audience of nearly 553,000. Is that a positive sign for the league? It really is. Every week from week one to week five so far, the average TV ratings for the slate of games has gone up. That is definitely a boost to the league's confidence. And the BC Lions are really drawing interest, even without Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke. And I'm sure it's probably because Vernon Adams Jr. is making some shiny dimes out there and throwing a lot of dots for touchdowns. The Edmonton Elks released former NFL defensive lineman Daniel Ross. Was that a surprise? Well, the Elks made a very bizarre decision last year. They gave Daniel Ross a bunch of money to sign with them, despite the fact that he was essentially a CFL rookie. He missed the whole year due to injury, and then this year they they cut him early on. So I have no idea what the Edmonton Elks and Chris Jones are doing because Daniel Ross was a Chris Jones guy in Saskatchewan. He's a Chris Jones guy through and through. So I don't know. This is just the latest confusing chapter in what has been the Chris Jones revival in Edmonton. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Threads. We'll see you next week for our next episode. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0.